and welcome back to Really Bad Ideas, episode 6. Following the continued adventures of Jack, Alabuk, and Lutze, as they realise that perhaps giving a stranger a lot of money to hide something valuable is not the best idea. I'm Carl, their GM and number one fan, and today we'll be picking up the story from where we left off last time. You may remember that Dar Dimplefoot had stolen a ruby from a gang leader in Magnamar. This ruby possesses the ability to store the leader's soul, so should he die, he will be returned to life. The party travel back to Sandpoint to retrieve this ruby. Once there, Dar revealed that he trusted the local butcher, Kendall, to hide the ruby for him. Upon meeting Kendall, he advised them that he'd buried the ruby in one of the graves at the local churchyard. The party attended, dug up the box in which the ruby was supposed to be, however, the box was empty. We join the party as they now storm towards Kendall's butcher's shop, intent on revenge. So with that, let's get on with Really Bad Ideas, Session 6, Red Ruby Runaway. The party, led by a very angry Dar Dimplefoot, storm through Sandpoint towards Kendall's butcher's shop. Upon arrival, they burst through the door, fully intent on giving Kendall a piece of their mind and possibly a length of steel into the bargain. However, Kendall is not in his usual place behind the counter, and the shop seems empty. The party managed to calm Dar long enough to suggest that they search the shop, hoping that they may come up with some clue as to where Kendall has gone. But rummaging around, they don't find anything to go on. Trick hits upon the idea that they give some of his clothes to Hopper to smell, possibly being able to track him down, which they do. And indeed, the wolf does seem to lead them somewhere. Hurriedly, they follow him through town. Occasionally, Hopper stops, snuffling at the ground, trying to get a location on Kendall. But soon, they're led out of town and into some nearby woodland. There are very much two schools of thought in the party as to how we would approach this. Trick, Alibuck, Lutze, and Jezebel all think that they should go for the stealthy approach. Track Kendall down, see what he's doing, leap on him when he's least expecting it, capture him, steal the ruby. Dar, however, believe that the direct method is best. Charge in, weapons drawn, ask questions later, take the ruby, and leave Kendall for dead. This discussion is interspersed with heavy breathing as the party race through the forest, guided by Hopper's keen nose, until eventually, and as so often happens, they reach a clearing. From the tree line, they can make out the figure of Kendall, slumped against a fallen tree, gasping for breath. Dar pulls his knives from his sheaths and walks out into the clearing, announcing clearly, Kendall, you cheated me. I'll have that ruby from you and I'll take your life as payment. Kendall looks up sharply, disbelief in his eyes as he focuses on the halfling. He struggles to stand as Dar covers the distance between them. Uh, Dar, so, you found me after all. I guess that means that you realise the ruby isn't where you thought it was. Look, there's, there's no need to get violent. I've got, I've got it here with me now. Kendall pulls a pouch from his side, upending the ruby into his hand, holding it up to the light. Dar is less than sympathetic. If you think I'm going to give you a way to worm out of this one, Kendall, you've got another thing coming. You just remember, this is your own doing. You caused this. By this point, the rest of the party have emerged from the tree line and are trying to talk some sanity into Dar. Trick runs ahead with Hopper. Placing a hand on Dar's shoulder, she preaches forgiveness to him. As some form of compassion, she sends Hopper to stand before Kendall, acting as a sort of guard. 
As Hopper gets close, though, Kendall lashes out with a knife he had concealed in his other hand. This causes a slight change in Trick. That's it. Forget everything I said. Nail the bastard. And so the fight, I suppose you could call it, begins. Hopper and Dar lash at Kendall, managing to open wounds in his arms. The scent of blood draws the attention of a completely narratively justified pack of wolves. They just happen to be in the area, hunting, waiting for the first scent of blood, okay? It happens. The wolves tear into the party from the flanks, and in the confusion, Kendall tries to escape. In order to avoid this, Lutze uses his incredible speed to chase down Kendall. When he arrives there, he attempts a manoeuvre to trip Kendall, grappling him to the floor. However, that's clearly not what the dice wanted Lutze to do. Lutze unfortunately rolls so poorly that he ends up prone on the floor himself. Kendall sees this opportunity and attacks, stabbing down at the monk with his knife. As Lutze avoids the blade, Hopper dives in, tackling Kendall to the floor, grabbing him with his powerful jaws. Pinned to the floor under the weight of a large wolf as he is, Kendall is rendered helpless as Trick approaches and slits his throat, earning her a surprised but impressed nod from Dar. The party make relatively short work of the rest of the wolves. This also includes a ill-fated handle animal check from Trick as she tries to train one of the wolves and bring them back to town with her. Sadly, it doesn't go as planned, and I think that's all we need to say about that. But the ruby is now in their possession. And now that that's done, they should be able to return to Magnamar, defeat the keel, pick up the jack, and carry on with their quest. However, isn't there now a butcher's shop going free? I'm speaking to the GMs listening to this for the next section of this particular podcast, because honestly, this is something that I don't think I ever would have seen coming, and I'm interested to know if any of you would have. What my players decided to do next primarily Dar and Trick, really, if I have to blame the perpetrators, is to go back to Sandpoint, take over the butchers, and use it as a front for a kind of black market shop. So they suggest this, and I'm sat there in my chair with my brain running at 100 miles an hour going, how the hell am I going to work this out in terms of the rules? So they travel back to Sandpoint and enter the butcher's shop. Oh, incidentally, uh, some of you may be wondering what they did with Kendall's body in the woods. There was no mention of that. They they just left him there, rotting. Isn't that nice? So they head back to the butcher's shop, finding it empty, as you would expect, and they begin to have a thorough search of the premises. Their findings are pretty scarce. Clothing, butcher's tools, meat. All the stuff a butcher would need in order to live and sell fine meats in his establishment. They also find a small box hidden under the counter. After several perception rolls to try and discern any traps, and several lockpick attempts, all of which unfortunately fail, Dar hurls the box at one of the walls, causing it to break open and explode in a puff of blue powder. Now normally, I don't particularly like putting traps into dungeons and settings. They can be somewhat of a HP tax. And what I mean by that is traps can often be placed purely to try and reduce your party's hit points in order to make it harder, more challenging, but they're not very story-based. They're not natural and organic. They wouldn't necessarily be there. This little trap was intended just for fun. I was going to have it so that if they did manage to open the lock, uh, they would open the small 
box, only to have some security dust, this blue powder, uh, be ejected all over their face. And they would have a blue face for like the rest of the session. And I think that would be quite amusing, quite harmless, completely pointless if Alibuck was the one to open it because he is already blue, being a gnome. But it would have been interesting. Never mind. You can't win them every time. Dar decides that it is his sole priority right now to find someone to run the butcher's shop in his absence. He will pose as a member of Kendall's family, go out into Sandpoint, and hire someone for that specific purpose. However, he doesn't want anyone to recognise him, whether this is because of Dar's previous dealings or because he's just a shady character, we don't know. He hits upon a plan with Trick to disguise himself. They find one of Kendall's overcoats from upstairs in the trunk and use it with Dar on Trick's shoulders to act as a human. They head out into Sendpoint and find themselves in a bar. There, the first person they come across is a young kid called Eli. He currently works in the tailors. He doesn't really have any experience doing anything else. He's very, very young. However, he is quite impressionable. And this exotic stranger with a large coat and the strange bending in the middle intrigues him. As does the purse he's presented when the job is offered. Dar introduces himself as Kendall's cousin from Magnamar, his cousin Joffrey. A trustworthy name if there ever was one. His business proposition is this. Eli, if you can come and run the butcher's shop for us while we're away doing other stuff for four weeks, I will cover the cost of everything and I will also pay you a handsome wage of ten silver per week. Well, this is more than the boy has seen in his entire life. How can he refuse? Dar then follows that up by saying that he's going to leave 250 gold, which he believes to be four weeks worth of stock for the shop with Eli. So with that all set up, they ensconce Eli within the butcher's shop and take off back to Magnamar. You may remember from the previous session that Jack was left behind in Magnamar. The story reason for this is that he was needed to help defend their new allies, the Gallowed, against a rival gang known as the Keeled. Their leader, Nathaniel Burke, is the person who Jar stole the ruby from in the first place. And indeed, Nathaniel is aware that the party have been consorting with the Gallowed, and so has reneged on the original deal with Dar, which was to give him six days to get to Sandpoint and back delivering the ruby, and has begun his attack on the Gallowed prematurely. The Jack is now ensconced inside the Handman, along with Zeke and more of his men, weathering the attack from the Keeled while he waits for the party to return. The party's journey back to Magnamar is very uneventful, and they pass through the city gates without any problem. However, once they reach the Marches, the area of Magnamar where both the Gallowed and the Keeled are based, they are immediately set upon by Nathaniel's men. What followed is a kind of two-part battle, where Dijak and Zeke in the Hangman were fighting off waves of Nathaniel's men as the party fought through the streets to reach them in time. The party believed that should they return the ruby to the Gallowed, they would be able to use this as leverage to call off the attack and become the dominant gang within the area, and because they'd be allied with them, that would be beneficial to them. The party encounter barricades and members of the gang firing it down on them from the rooftops. Eventually, they reach one of Magnamar's many squares, where a much larger battle takes place. Granados and alchemical flasks are thrown around as Lutze uses his climbing ability to reach those gang members ensconced on balconies, throwing them down to the ground below for the rest of the party to finish off. All the while, 
the battles at the hangman are becoming harder and harder. First, a couple of thieves with knives. Next, throwing some harder-hitting bruisers with bigger weapons. Then buff these bruisers with bards and clerics, and finally bring in the offensive magic. Dijak's player is beginning to sweat. He's never liked getting below half HP, and this is really pushing into his limit. However, the rest of the party eventually break through, forcing back the members of the keel and refortifying the position that is the hangman. Quickly, they hand the ruby over to Zeke, and he heads outside with the ruby held high. Broit, this had better stop now. You can go and tell Nathaniel that we have his ruby, and if he wants to see it, he'll have to come and see me personally. Any further attempted violence will result in this being broken, and then you'll have to deal with Nathaniel yourselves. And with that, they retreat, leaving the hangman safe and quiet for another day. And that's what we'll end the session. Thank you, everyone, to listening to part six of the Really Bad Ideas podcast. I hope you have enjoyed listening to the story so far. Next time, we'll be joining the party as they venture back outside Magdamar, searching for the Black Orcs and Dejack's mother. If you are enjoying the podcast, then please consider coming to find me at Bard Really on Twitter, or come join me at reallybardideas.com, where I've been posting short stories set in my homebrew world of Estia, the first two of which look at the different ways in which magic can be wielded. So with that, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time for Really Bad Ideas, Session 7. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. Thank you.